0: Welcome to Food and Loathing. I'd like to think of this as the omakase menu of the podcasting world. That means you place yourselves in our hands and trust that we'll serve you course after course of deliciousness. <laughs> I'm your host, Al Mancini. Rick Moonen is back in the co-host chair this week, which makes sense since he owns all of these chairs here at Moonen (laughs) Ranch, where we are recording this episode and tweaking all of the sound that you hear. As always, our resident tweaker, Rich Johnson. I live
1: to tweak, and God, that's gotten me into so much trouble.
0: Better than if you live to twerk. Oh, Oh, you don't want to see that. That would me a lot. Uh, how are you, gentlemen,
2: this fine um, August day? I couldn't be better. Things are great. I'm finally recovering. After we recorded our last podcast, I flew out that afternoon to go to Orange County to eat at John Tzar's restaurant in Dana Point. Really good, nice little meal. Then I did a charity dinner the next day, flew home. Within 24, 24 hours, I had to go to Houston to do a couple of media things for the company I work with. So eight days straight going, right? So I'm flying home. My wife... Gets together with Steve and Lindsey Geddes. And they decide that we're going to meet at China Mama. All right. So my, my wife grabs a couple of bottles of Riesling out of the cooler and we go down there. I, China Mama, I've, I haven't been there in so long. It's been you know. a while for You know, me I, as I, used well. to, I used to go there pretty regularly. Friends of ours would get together on Christmas Day and go there for the Chinese, you know, that's the, yeah. yeah, the Jewish New York. Yeah, the New York Jew but it was, thing, right? It's definitely fun to, fun to do it. My kids aren't in town, so let's do it. You know, it's that kind of thing. But I do the, Chinglish for that, by the way. It's a good place these days. Ch- that Chinglish, yeah. Chinglish, yeah. I like that. So. Anyway, the, the meal was terrific, you know I mean you know course after course, spicy, wonderful, their dumplings, you know the soup dumplings yeah. and everything that I remember. I went there with like uh, Adam St- you know Adam Sobel and, mm-hmm. and Gerald Chin you know when, when they first started working with me in, in Mandalay Bay. and it's still just as great as it always has been.
0: That's good to hear. I mean, you know, it is funny to think about how far Zhaolong Bao have come since we started going to that restaurant. Mm-hmm. When Those are, the, of course, the soup dumplings that are super popular right now everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I was working on the first edition of my book, Eating Las Vegas, with Max and John, um, you know, we talked about China Mama, and everybody was like, You have to have these soup dumplings. We all tried to learn how to pronounce Zhaolong Bao, you know, <laughs> and all that shit. And it was like very exotic if you could say it right and prove it to people. And now they're everywhere. You go into, to, um, what is it, Dintai Fun at Aria where they actually have the card on the table with the instructions on how to eat them properly. That's yeah. how fucking mainstream they've yeah. become is that there are printed instructions cards in a casino uh, on how I mean, to eat I, them.
1: I first had those maybe 10, 11 years ago and you talk about how transcontinental cuisine is. Yeah. I'm living in D.C. I got a friend from Baltimore. He's showing me soup dumplings in downtown San Francisco. Not in Chinatown, but right down by the but water. What queen. I recall
2: was like when I first go. this is many years ago, there was a framed article, you know, a review by um, uh, Max. 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 Max Chikers, yeah, and it was, it was about their Kung Pao chicken. Really? Yeah. So, the, you know, they weren't originally, you know, focused on their soup dumplings. Either. Yeah, yeah. You know, no,
1: but they, they play the hits and they play them very, very, very well.
2: Yeah, and they're not afraid of spice. Man, so
0: we're already up. off and running in the where have we been eating portion of this show. <laughs> yeah. To continue, please, Rick, any place else that you've been this week?
2: Uh, no, actually, we've been eating at home since then because, you know, the, when you're on an eight-day, eight you know, work binge, yeah. you know, it sometimes can get on you. So we're just trying to level out things a little bit. You know, yesterday we went to some— uh, we went up to red rock and we saw one of those outdoor plays you know matilda was on it so we, we made it through half of that and we went home we tired <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah i know we're getting old here man we need <laughs> oh, to get some yeah. young blood
0: on this podcast <laughs> oh, man. we're all smoked. tucked oh, in by the time the real action no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> i'm good to go uh how about you rich man a of, uh, again a
1: lot of home cooking as i'm a. Uh Failing as a participant in a restaurant show because I'm just not going out very much. Yeah. Uh, beef stew and uh, Sunday gravy from the freezer from, you know, a month or so ago when I made those. Mm. Joanna back tweaking her semolina bread. Last tweaking,
0: year. not twerking. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> Although,
1: you know. Okay. okay. You know, Fun night at home. That was All right. really good. good. I, w- I went out to, to to accompany this bread. I, I went it for another, yet another, in the, my series of guilty childhood things revisited. Oscar Myers straight-up Pig in a chipper bologna sandwich.
0: Oh boy, man, you know? we are hitting new levels of richest junk food
2: appreciation. <laughs> so here. I have
1: that at home. Uh, I did break down. I got a couple of steaks from uh, Echo and Rig, a ribeye and a uh, Delmonico. Now we're talking. I let the uh, gas grill heat up. I got distracted or something, and and or or something else. The potatoes weren't done yet, so I let the grill. Usually, I'm 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 really itching to go after about 10 minutes, and it gets up to 450, 500. I forgot about it. It went 20, 25 minutes, and it, it was just a little north of 600. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't last that long once I opened the, the lid to put the steaks in, but boy, that really did pop that
2: meat.
0: <laughs> it's the, I mean, the uh, dragon jaw. Outside great. is almost 600 <laughs> degrees right now, I know, so it am not to cool it down that much.
1: Uh, we made it to Ada's Wine Bar on a Friday, played the hits, the charcuterie, the mm. salmon roulette, the red pepper hummus, and have something you ex- you've mentioned. I bet I know what I'm, you're going to say. No, I was going to
0: ask if you noticed the salmon roulette's a little different. It's not being served in the mason jar anymore, and it's a slightly different preparation.
1: I had uh, not remembered that from last time, but yeah, it just comes on the toast. Right. Ready to go. And the, uh, uh, where is it here? The corn cob. The
0: uh, Oh, yeah, those corn oh, yeah. ribs.
1: Corn ribs. Corn cob cut in four oh, yeah, lengthwise, yeah. deep fried, dipped in the miso honey butter, sprinkled with the Aleppo chili. Yeah, that was. The That's, only thing is, it's so.
4: You know, small I'm used you. to
1: a huge, uh, you know, here of corn. <laughs> yeah. Just going about four rows, five rows at once. And to get only three takes a little intricacy mm-hmm. that tell I'm not what,
0: used tell to. Tell
2: me when three orders.
0: R- Rick, by the way, are you um? Are just rolling your eyes over there every time we say roulette over here, Simon Roulette? <laughs> <Are> <laughs> no, just, no, Our no. mispronunciation? No, no, it's re- Riet. It, yes. But I mispronounce I it all the it time. myself. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I bring it up because I don't think people should ever be intimidated by mispronouncing nah. the menu item. I do it all the fucking time and I don't care, yeah. you know? <laughs> no,
2: I, I grew up where, you know, in a French environment where if you mispronounced any wow. kind of word at all, they looked at you like you, you weren't even close. <laughs> and
0: you, oh, you, were, yeah. you
2: were close. If you said, "Hey, I'm gonna make the beef bourguignon," they go, "Do what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the beef bourguignon?" <laughs> <laughs> they got the belganyon. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, oh, okay, oh, know right. what you meant, got right?
1: Eight is <laughs> uh, being uh, is wine bar. We had a, a glass of surprise. This deal for it's only twelve bucks a glass, and they choose. Oh, great. What you have, a red or a white? There was mm-hmm. something from Austria that was fine, but I will not remember it. Second glass, though, I do remember Sonoma Coma. From uh, George Russian River Winery, I will go find a few bottles of that.
4: Mm.
0: They're they're a great restaurant. I know we talk about James's yeah, restaurants yeah. all the time, but you know I should say that, you know first of all their wine goddess over there, cat, she's fantastic. But even our waitress, when Sue went in last time, and you know we're we say all the time we're not big wine people here, um, in my family, and our waitress remembered what Sue had had and liked yeah. the last time. Wow, I mean nice. maybe there are notes in the back, and I'm fine with that. You know however they figured it out, but she. was was able to say to Sue, "You had this three months ago when you were here, and you liked it. Try it again, and it was great." And that is the kind of front of the house service that you mentioned. Know, you mentioned, oh,
2: you, you mentioned omakase in the beginning of this this podcast. Mm-hmm. That's what this can be for you. Just go in there and just put it in their hands. You yeah. can't go wrong. You just can't go wrong. Absolutely not.
0: Great restaurant. Okay, I have a lot to get through here, uh, so I'll try to be quick about it. I had an excellent meal at Buddy V's with my friends from Three Square. Uh, before I get to the food, I need to mention Buddy V's earned a ton of money for Three Square during Restaurant Week. Um, I want to use this as an opportunity to thank them and to everyone who participated in Restaurant Week and the restaurants, the customers, whoever participated, you people rock. The event raised over $200,000 wow. this year. I think wow. it was closer to a quarter million. That means between 600,000 and 750,000 meals for our food insecure neighbors. So, bravo. Yes, 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 yes. So, I was thrilled to get that update from my friends. Uh, moving on to the food. Man, what an amazing meal. Look, I know everybody these days is all about elevating the red sauce joint. Uh, I know it's super trendy to name check New Jersey when you do it, even though I spent tw- the first 23 years of my life trying to get the fuck out of New Jersey, and every year since trying to stay out. Baby, I'm- you were born to run. <laughs> right, I was. I mean, when your state song is about getting the fuck out of the state, like that tells you something. Uh, you know, I don't want to go too much of a tangent, but I'll never remember. When- I'll never forget being out at the Meadowlands when Bruce first came back after a long hiatus. I was reporting on it for ABC News and watching all of these fucking New Jersey people singing along with Bruce. And I was living in New York at the time. Bruce, I don't know where he was living, right? But I'm sitting there watching them all cheer and I'm looking around these people going, you do realize this song is about getting the fuck out of this state. (laughs) Bruce did, (laughs) I did, you did, what are you so excited about? Um, But nonetheless, I am fine with this new trend. My wife loves it a lot. Um, So many of those recipes are really near and dear to her heart, so I'm glad to see talented chefs that are treating them with respect. But I've got news for you folks. Buddy V's, which combines the Hoboken cred of the cake boss himself and the res- restaurant expertise of the Brown Associates team. This is really the Vegas OG of this movement of yeah. Jersey red sauce joint food. And my meal was a testament to how great it is. A knockout order of cheesy garlic bread, perfectly cooked calamari, an amazing salumi plate with you know everything you need on it. I won't go into all the details. My entree was my mother-in-law's linguine shrimp scampi. Now, talk about really making it personal. This one had a lot of tomatoes and a lot of spinach in it, right? Uh-huh. Um, sort of almost more soupy than you're used to right, with it. Right. But um, just very homey, very welcoming, along with that garlic, mm. the white wine, the lemon, the pecorino, all the things you're used to. So that really fantastic. Just a quick reminder, Buddy V's is awesome. And you can reserve your table on Neon Feast app. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get get that out there. You Buddy's- only can. But he's a big <laughs> supporter. Uh, I also ventured back to Revea for the first time in uh, a long time. This is Elaine Ducasse.
2: Rich, rich, just so you know, Revea, that's that's fine dining. Fine. fine damn fine. fine Very yeah, fine. Yes. yes. Thank <laughs> you. Okay, there you go.
0: Noted. <laughs> this is Elaine Ducasse's
2: only Las Vegas restaurant. It's up at the
0: top of the Delano. Um, it's also attached to a really cool lounge up there. Um, you know, the first things you notice when you go up there the decor in there those hanging glass balls that when they did them originally up there they were so like unreal i'd never seen anything like that right. and now you can buy them at like fucking bed bath and beyond right <laughs> in your house like so many other people twist has done it and all these other people do it but um yeah. but nobody does it quite as well as they do but what's great is it's a very large restaurant but because it is on the top floor of delano get so much natural light windows on one side windows on the other side it feels so much light and airy because that's something you don't get in las vegas restaurants no matter how big they are you rarely get more than just a touch of natural light if you're lucky so um that was really stunning about it service was top notch best of the best Uh, my team the team that waited on me were fantastic and then these dishes You know, what was really cool was they started off with a lot of really cool little finger foods, a great bread service, kind of fun, playful, Um, these tigelle, tigelle, um, these tiny little flatbread sandwiches that Mm -hmm. they brought out that we could pick from. Two of them were cured ham. Two of them were tomato and basil. We had the um, panisse, which is the kind of chickpea fries, Mm -hmm. grilled octopus. They had sea bass marinated in orange and lemon with grapefruit. So Server actually compared this to ceviche. I thought that preparation was a little closer to a crudo for me, but um, whatever. It was fucking good. Um, A beaten quinoa salad. We had this summer corn and regatta ravioli that was uh, unbelievable. I love when people use the sweetness of Mm. corn when it's seasonal. And doing that in that ravioli was just so good. Lobster risotto with big pieces of lobster in it. A scallop with this artichoke. Rick, do you know this word barrageul?
2: Barajoule. Barajoule. Barajoule, yeah. It's usually, it usually refers to like stewed artichokes and carrots. Right. Usually a little stock is added and it turns into this brothy, a lot of oil in it, so it turns into this brothy richened up with thick and thickened not thickened right. it's not a mayonnaise but it's you know the texture of it on your palate it's rich it's delicious it, baragoule is one of my favorite preparations
0: and it really made these artichokes very tender that of course the scallop oh, was done perfectly sure. um artichoke super tender and then a little bit of that baragoule um, they baragoule. did it up as a baragoule. Baragoule. did it up as a Good. did it up as a foam on top right because uh, oh, you brilliant know, they're fancy pants over there. um Duck. Oh, man, this duck dish with a cherry compote sort of with a, almost a granola type of grains mm-hmm. on top of it. So that sweetness with the, the richness of the duck and desserts. We had a couple of really good ones, but one the one that stood out, this brioche that was soaked in limoncello and simple syrup and served with vanilla whipped cream. Mm-hmm. That was so exciting. Your cat's coming over to the table to, yeah. um, get, to get a taste Manny of it. Manny wants to talk. Uh, yeah. So that was great, man. So bravo to Rivea. I love that place. Ugh. Uh, wait, wait.
2: Did, you forgot the little mention, mention about the, the the napkin. Oh,
0: the napkin. Sue's well, napkin. everybody's not necessarily going to get this, I don't think. But um, yeah, no, they, this is about the extra touch. For the VIPs, the extra touches, I guess they treated me like a VIP. Sue and I both got embroidered napkins with our names on them. So hers said Jeez. Mrs. Sue Mancini. Mine said Mr. Al Mancini. So you and... don't have to
2: feel bad about stealing those
0: napkins. No, you can steal those napkins. <laughs> you can steal those fucking napkins, which we did. We cleared it. We told them we were stealing the napkins. We didn't think anybody else wanted to see my name. That would ruin their appetite. But um... I,
1: I got the slightly lowbrow version of that when I went to the new Yankee Stadium. It took me 10 years, but I was there about 3-4 years ago. We went to the steakhouse on the third base side. Right. And we had a great steak. And the bone, the bone end of the ribeye. She said, What would you like on the bone?
2: <laughs> what would you like on the bone?
1: And they engraved, you know, my <laughs> you my, ask my friend Juliet uh, from 1010 uh, Wind. <laughs> so, so Juliet and Rich on the side of the bone, and I have a picture of that. Nice. I was holding got, the bone. That Did is you. Juliet and
0: Rich bone.
2: Uh, no, <laughs> sorry.
0: I has uh, a, little little mixed, little with engra- a dr-
2: bone. Uh, Somebody back there with a Dremel. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I remember years ago when Joe Elevado was over at um, Andrea's at Wynn and they bought, I think they spent $60,000 on this machine that would engrave the chopsticks with customers' names on it. I was doing a story at the time about wow. the high-end touches that restaurants do for yeah. their VIPs, but these engraved napkins definitely taking it up to another level and yeah, that was cool, man. If you're a badass, tell them you want your fucking name on a napkin. That's See if brilliant. they'll do it for you. <laughs>
2: Great marketing. I just wanted to bring it up.
0: No, that was really cool. Also went to Aces and Ales to split up my Hockey tickets with my friends Uh, Just a couple things You know It's a cool restaurant But did maple bacon deviled eggs Which I hadn't ever had before So um, that was really weird I mean you think bacon and eggs And maple syrup It all makes sense But I never quite had it that way Deviled
2: Deviled the reason it's devil because it's got spice, it's got mustard, it's got something that's kind to kick a savory you. thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No maple syrup. Uh, yeah. It was no. okay. No. I had the Metallica Lover's Pizza. You know,
0: Kerry Car- Kelly, I think, is his name, who owns Aces and Ales. He's yeah. a big um, touring rock musician. He- he's played with Alice Cooper and all these people, so a lot of throwbacks. Anyway, I had a lot of fun over there. Takeout cool. from other Mama, that was great. I returned to the Bedford, dined at the bar. Still reserving judgment on the food there, but, um, you know, I've only had two dishes. Right. I really, really enjoyed the pierogi. Um they had a, a salmon and croat, not the best of the many and croats that are around right now, but it was certainly good. Um and I'm I'm still just waiting to try a few more dishes. You know, yeah. the vibe there though, somebody who's always had a really dirty, kinky crush on Martha Stewart. This is like all my fetishes like right there. It yeah. definitely feels like a place, you know, that she's so nice and proper and I, I just have these bad thoughts about her that no, it's like get, you know. I, I mean, the yeah. I, no, no. I love her. She's just sexy as hell. You know. She is. She always has been. This so this you know, it's weird that I've always had a crush on her, and this place got a plays way into it. About her. Yeah. Um, I also had a lunch at Firefly that was great. No need to go into that. I think. I think we've talked We're about there? all the big things that I've eaten. this wow, week.
1: Wow! I feel again so inadequate. Uh, so so after we <laughs> do this, am I going to Buddy V's for a chicken farm or other Mama for a? Kung Pao.
0: My friend mm. Will from um, Three Square actually had the chicken parm. I had a couple bites of yeah. his, and it was it was fucking great. Yeah, it's I soft. love chicken parm. I
2: don't know, it's my weakness, and it's from it's the New Jersey chicken parm. Yeah, you know, and yeah. Buddy V sauce okay. and the whole thing. So
1: maybe that maybe that's the answer.
2: Yeah. I think so. It'll make you happy.
1: Coming up in the news: more Pine dining, a dinner for ALS, and disappointing news from the Miracle Mile shops. First, though, a Vegas tribute to a venerable New York restaurant, and Al dives into a whole new style of desserts. Filipino Vegas style, is that a good label? That sounds right. Wonderful. This is Food and Loathing. Mm -hmm. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast, restaurant recommendations from real food pros, sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. Want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com.
0: So we mentioned last week that Brezza is hosting a very intimate Taste of Babo dinner on Tuesday, August 30th. And at that time, I told you we were trying to set up an interview with Nicole Brisson and Zach Allen to explain what that means. Well, we got half of it, the Nicole half, and here it is. So we are here for this segment at the in the private dining room at Brezza, um, and we are joined once again by my friend Nicole Brisson. Nicole, how are you?
3: I'm great. Thanks for having me again.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And I'm, we're, so we're confirming we do not have Zach on the um, line, but it's just going to be the two of us here. It, it's just going to be the two of us. I, I wanted to chat with you a little bit. I mean, we, we've spoken so much about your food and what you do at Brezza, what you do at Barzazu and all the restaurants and where you, what you have coming to the suburbs. We've covered all that. Now I want you to take us on a little history lesson today, because it seems like you are about to take this town or at least a couple dozen of some very lucky people in this town on a history lesson to your roots and the roots of what has become Italian cuisine in Las Vegas. And that is the New York City restaurant, Babo, that opened in 1998. As we mentioned last week on this podcast, you're doing a Babo reunion tribute dinner. Tell us about that, please.
3: Yeah, so there's there's a lot of layers to this dinner. Um, originally when when Jason and I kind of set out to do to do Brezza, you know, we really wanted to to have the community be part of it in many ways, you know, whether it be those the late night dinners that we're doing or we had the Pio Cesare truffle dinner, now we have the Babo dinner, and it's really just an opportunity for us to have a lot of fun with the, the staff and and in the community and and offer something that's not just your standard kind of wine dinner or is something a little bit different that that can be fun for us in the kitchen, but also fun for the the clientele that's coming in and enjoying the experience. Bobbo is very much part of my DNA. Um, anybody who does not know Zach Allen, uh, Zach Allen and I started working together back when I opened the Venetian, or when I started at the Venetian Palazzo. So we opened b b together, we opened Enoteca San Marco, and eventually Carnivino at the Palazzo as well. So over the years, I mean, he met his wife at Carnivino, they got married, they now have two beautiful children. And he's, he's like a brother to me, you know, he's based here in Las Vegas, but he travels all over the world, opening restaurants for Lydia and Nancy and Joe. And uh, I, I think it's important for me to just be able to be back in the kitchen with him, you know, us being in the kitchen together and with cello and Arnold and, and Dennis and, and all the great people that we've worked with over the years. It really gives us a, an opportunity to reunite and, and really have fun with the food and each, each other.
0: Yeah. So when is this dinner and tell us a little bit about the chefs who are taking part in it, and then we're going to dig deep into what inspired it.
3: Okay. So, uh, the dinner is August 30th. It's gonna. it's got full wine pairings and, uh, The price of the tickets, all inclusive of tax gratuity, everything. And um,
0: the price is how much? The
3: price is $375. Uh, It's going to be, I'm really excited actually about the entree, of course. We've got these 10 pound shanks that we're going to do table sign. So. Yeah. They had a
0: weird name. What are you calling those?
3: <laughs> They're called Thor's hammer. Thor's that was not, uh, was not my name, <laughs> but I think that's going to be one of the most fun courses. Do you that. have
0: to pay royalties to the MCU or Disney or anybody on that?
3: <laughs> Maybe. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> um,
0: It's going to be held here in this private dining room that we're sitting in right now?
3: It's going to be in this private dining room. Nice, intimate experience, uh, 24 guests. So we'll really have a lot of time to kind of tell the stories of Babo and each course and the inspiration for doing each course. And the great part is, I mean, as you stated, Babo was open in 1998. So the food has pretty much stayed exactly the same. But this gives myself and Cello and and Arnold an opportunity to really take modern interpretations and, and elevate it how we want and really have some
0: fun with it okay so let's go back to the roots of this because you are calling this a babo dinner or an evening at babo or Mm -hmm. something like that that i don't have in front of me in my notes right now but (laughs) something very close to that um babo as we said opened in new york city in 1998 it was the um really the flagship of b&b hospitality and b&b hospitality for those who may not quite remember that was of course mario Batali, joe bastianich and joe's mother um linda
3: Lydia. 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 I knew I was getting that wrong. I'm so <laughs> sorry,
0: Miss Bastianich. I'm just—it was a brain fart thing. I apologize. Um, and that—that that was the core group of B&B hospitality. The restaurant Babo is still in existence today. Um, the Bastianich family still involved with it.
3: Correct? Yes. Is absolutely. It? Zach is actually there as we speak. I think doing pre-show. <laughs> okay.
0: Cool. <laughs> um, now, at the time that it opened. I was living in New York, as I just said. I did not get into the cool restaurants in those days in my life. I was nowhere near cool enough to score a reservation in a restaurant that was that hip. But it was really credited as sort of reinventing what people think about Italian food in New York City. And of course, New York City being the home of the sort of red sauce, you know, smear it in mozzarella cheese and put red sauce on it. And that was what a lot of people thought Italian was. Babbo really kind of showed showed people at that point in time for the late 1990s that there was something different going on. I remember reading about it not only when I was in New York, but then when you came, you know, when I came here and some of those concepts were brought here, it was known for having the offal. Yeah. A lot of the lesser A lot cuts. A the tail, yep. Um, it was known for... Being more sort of a rock and roll fine dining kind of vibe, which was not had not really caught on as much as it has in these days, right? The music, I believe, I'd never been in there, but the music playing was more modern. It wasn't very staid and restrained, but it was still an elevated fine dining experience. Well, am I correct on those as no, being you're signatures abso- you're of the restaurant? No, you're absolutely correct.
3: And I think that's what attracted so many of us to want to work for this group. is I remember when I was leaving The Win and uh, Zach had approached me about coming on the team, and I was. Thinking about moving out of Las Vegas, and I think the only thing that really kept me here in Las Vegas was being able to work for, for the Battali Bastanch group because it was just it was, it had such a reputation. Obviously, me coming from New York, but um, I mean, as chefs, we are, we are very much punk rock. You know, we are. I love punk rock music. I love, you know. He would have Led Zeppelin blasting at, at Bobo when we would walk in the dining room and and I think it was something that was a little bit different than everybody was used to. You know, it was still white tablecloth. It was still very the, there was still very much um, attention to the service and detail and, and the decor and, and everything, but it was it was kind of pushing the barriers. You know, the the food was based on classic Italian dishes, but it was done in a very modern way for that time. You know, he had the goat cheese truffles. He had the, the merguez sausage, mint love letters. He had um, the little postage stamp, Franco Bolli, with uh, brains, um, the calves, calves brains, the calf's brains. The calf's brains. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and the interesting thing about Babo, we originally wanted – B&B to be Bobo Vegas. And we probably should have branded it that way. <laughs> but it, it never really, it caught on in Vegas as much. You know, it was, it was harder to, I think the people who understood it really understood it, but, you know, we were appealing to the masses here in Las Vegas. And it, it's unfortunate because I still have people to this day that, oh, I wish B&B was still here. I wish it was still here. And that's what really I think, inspired the dinner and, and making us want to do this.
0: Yeah, you can count me among those because, um, you know, some of the dishes that are on your menu coming up, are, for example, the um, the calamari, right? mm-hmm. the lifeguard, Calamari. Yep, the Sicilian was, lifeguard the Sicilian style. style. Calamari. Um, you know, I remember that. I remember Chef Patali giving me those very first time, he and I splitting up those brains yep. together. Um, I remember those dishes. Sue and I had so many great experiences in B&B even though I hadn't been to Babo, you know, it, I felt like it represented the spirit of that. Uh, also, the location of yeah. Babo. When we talk about that hipness factor, you know, how it was a little bit rock and roll, but also a little bit elevated. I mean, you were just half a block off Washington Square Park. So, yeah. anybody Who knows New York knows that Washington Square Park for 50, 60, 70 years, probably longer, has been sort of the epicenter of elevated hipness, right? Like rich people hipness is Washington Square Park. The East those of us with no money were over in the East Village, but over on Washington Square Park, that's where, like, you know, right around NYU, New York University and that whole vibe and, you know, all the very artsy professors and people like that around there. So uh, did location have a lot to creating the vibe in that restaurant?
3: I think so. I mean, from what I heard in the early days of the group was that it was basically Joe and Mario sitting on that stoop and just kind of, brainstorming about about what they wanted to do and then and then the restaurant came to fruition from there and it was really you can just see so much of both of them in that restaurant, you know, the the food was so much Mario, the, the service and the wine. I mean, when you go into the, the wine cellar at Babo, which I actually didn't get to do in, in 20 years until just recently, my last trip to New York with Zach. Uh, we stopped by Bobo for some Amaro and uh, he gave me a tour of the, the private room. And I had never, it's crazy that I had never seen it. I had stayed at the apartment above many times <laughs> when we were doing events and different things there. But um, yeah, it just, I mean, it, it has... It has soul, you know, and it's like you said. It I think it was an old carriage house back in the day that they they revamped into the restaurant, and I mean, it's just. I I think for a lot of people in New York City, you know, it was kind of one of the, the most iconic restaurants. You know, yeah, that, that really it, paved the way. And it
0: spoke of a certain time. You know, mm-hmm. it was definitely, um, you know, it was a moment in time that that, I guess, if you weren't there for it, you don't remember it.
1: I want to ask a couple of the uncomfortable questions. We're sitting in this wonderful place, Brezza, and I'm so happy that you're here. And I got to assume that you're happy that your career has taken you to to open a place like this. But do you still feel a little collateral damage from from all the B&B places closing at the Venetian because of one of the bees and all that unpleasantness?
3: Um, You know, I, st- I strongly believe everything in life happens for a reason. And... It was, it was devastating at the time, I think, for both Zach and I to lay off 365 employees. And I felt like they were kind of orphaned for many years. And now I see that they've come back to me, <laughs> which is really, really, yeah. I think, flattering. Yeah, and a- it was a- no fault of yours or Joe's. Mm-hmm. And, and no, but, you know, I mean, Mario and I still talk often. And I I, I know he's proud of me and, and what I've accomplished. And I, I think that what this did was it opened up a... An avenue for me to to really thrive and and ha- build my success and 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 have my name on the door for the first time. Yeah, you know, and not be under any other celebrity chef's <laughs> name. And it it, it really I.
0: And have your name on the door on the Strip because yes. let's face it, there are a lot of people that came and they were under a celebrity chef on the Strip, but when they wanted their name on the door, they had to go out into the burbs. Exactly. So I mean, it's it's a huge accomplishment to have your name on the door on Las Vegas Boulevard.
3: I mean, Jason and I just celebrated a year here, and it's it, we we tear up just thinking about it. You know, it's you reflect back on the last year and how hard it's been with COVID and everything and all the hurdles, and I, I think I think we we both have a lot to be proud of.
1: I know you don't want to speak for Mario, but can you say anything about will we ever see him again, or has he decided that's it for him in the public eye?
3: I I can't speak on his behalf. You know, I know he's he's happy. I know he's he's spending a lot of time with his family, and he's traveling. And I I mean, he's he's such a talent. You know, and I I hope to see him come back to the scene just because I I just want to share. A kitchen with him yeah. again you know and, and just cook with him again but um you know I, I, I can't speak on his behalf I mean I, I don't know where I, I know he gave us a blessing for the dinner the
0: so what how did you go about choosing the dishes that you're going to use um that you're going to serve at this meal and what are they special are certain ones of them more special to you for certain reasons do you have memories of those
3: yeah i mean the mint love letters is obviously it just takes me back to cooking on the line at the pasta station at b&b um it's one of jason's favorites so we really wanted to have that on uh the shank like i said it's going to be unique we're going to we're going to do a beautiful um uh, risotto alongside it and some some just sauteed greens. And then uh, the potar- the spaghetti potarga or the quitaro potarga is one of my favorites. We're going to finish that table side. Um, the Sicilian lifeguard style. I mean, that was like, <laughs> you know, after a long night at B&B, that was usually the only plus we had left was to, to just eat that and some <laughs> of the broth, you know. And it, it's I, I love that dish so much. It just makes you feel like you're in Sicily in a lot of ways, you know. Cool. Um, how
0: much of that experience and of that training, or not really training, but of that experience and of those menus, how much of that is on the brezza menu? And and why did you feel that doing this separate dinner is important as opposed to just integrating it slowly?
3: Well, I mean, we, we did open with a lot more dishes that were, were inspired by my time at B&B and you know, we had the lamb's tongue on originally. That's going to be featured at this dinner, which is yeah. hands down one of my favorites, but it's it's a hard sell. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's it's absolutely delicious. It's with a soft poached egg, tr- black truffle, cherry vinaigrette, some oven-dried tomatoes. It's really, really you, amazing. you got to find the, the uh,
1: quadruped version of... Chilean sea bass. Give it a new name.
3: I know, I know. It's got such a bad, <laughs> a bad rap. <laughs>
0: I was reading a New Yorker article that was talking about the legacy of Baba one time, and it said kind of those um, those kitschy names, right? Like yeah. The love letters or things like that, that that was really kind of a, a big... I don't know, a sign of the times maybe of where dining was in the in the late 1990s of trying to sort of um, I don't know, be cutesy with the way you labeled shit on the menu. Well, well
3: yeah, and I think it's something that Batali Bastiani's group always did very, very well, is they always educated not only their staff, but their consumers, you know, and it, I think it was a way to make Italian food and Italian verbiage not not pretentious, but also uh, approachable, you know, in a lot of ways, and I, you know, Mario did that on, on Multimario. He had a every every dish had like a little bit of a history lesson and i think that's what he that's that's what makes him so approachable that makes him so appealable to to people and they they want to learn they want to they want to know the history of each dish and i think it's done a great i think it's done amazing for for italy you know just giving them recognition for, for all these dishes that maybe wouldn't have made it to the States for many years. It would have just been that red sauce Italian and mm-hmm. and not anything that was real traditional and real authentic in a lot of ways.
0: When you look about, around the um, Italian landscape in Las Vegas right now, Italian cuisine landscape, do you see any influence of this style, of this moment in time, of this movement in cooking? Um, I know we're having like a red sauce renaissance that seems we to be are. going on right now. <laughs> um, or an elevated herb, or a red sauce du I don't know, trying to resurrect it, you know, and give it a little credibility again, seems to be what's going on in Las Vegas. But do you see, I mean, ever since Vetri closed at the top of the palms and, you know, I don't know where the originality is outside of what you're doing at Brezza. I
3: I think Vetri does an amazing job at, at Red Rock still. I did it there a few weeks back and it was, it was just as amazing as the first time I went. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think he pushes the barriers a little bit with, with, especially with the bread program and, and every, his pasta program and everything that he does. Um, but you know, honestly, I think a lot of it is, is all the people who have worked for the group over the years and where they end up. Cause if now, if I go to Dallas and I know two of my sous chefs work yeah. there, you see the influences in their menu, you know, in New York, uh, Robbie, one of my old sous chefs from B&B, he has three restaurants now in New Jersey and he's just, he's thriving. Um, so it, it kind of created this whole family of people you know I just had a chef who lives in Miami who who worked with me who just came back to visit and a lot of our staff from the front of the house that were in town and came back to visit so I I think like we talk about in the kitchen all the time it's such a culture you know that you build and I think it connects us on on such a like spiritual level that that isn't just about food you know it's a it's about family it's about it's about that that um, camaraderie that you have in the kitchen that, that nobody can really take away from you. It takes, as Mario said, you know, no one knows what goes on in the back of the house. till you've shared blood, sweat, and tears. Mm
0: -hmm. I, I think you make a very important point, which is, you know, it's so easy for, um, for customers and especially for journalists to believe that the way that um, trends spread is sort of from the, um, from the diner side. Right. But it's really the culture that you develop in the back of the house and the culture that B and B restaurant group over all those decades uh, developed across around the globe. Let's be honest about it. And that it's, it's those people going out and getting new jobs. It is the people who leave the, your your nice kitchen and go on to start their own smaller kitchen who really spread the culture
3: for sure and I'm back to your question about Here locally. I'm, I'm trying to think I mean, I, I think Mark Maroney is getting ready to open a new Italian restaurant, which he he looks like he's kind of doing a lot more modern interpretations and and fun presentations But and then there's a Romy which I still haven't been to uh, he worked with me over at the <laughs> Venetian Palazzo and mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I think it's it's there. It's just, I think we all want to see more of it. You know, I know there's always rumors of Zach bringing Nancy to Vegas, which I would love to see one day. I mean, her, her pizza program and everything else, but I think she would just thrive here on the strip. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you are, but for those who want a crash course in it, they want a reminder. They don't want to seek out everybody and where they've landed around the globe. You're getting five people back together, five chefs from that kitchen back together here in this private dining room. Hit us with the details one more time, and then um, hopefully I can be in here and at least watch you cook when that happens, spend <laughs> the back with you, and be a fly on the wall.
3: So it'll be August 30th, uh, 7 p.m., uh, wine wine pairings included, all-inclusive, $375.
0: Cool. Sold out, or we still have tickets available? I
3: think we still have tickets available.
0: Okay. Well, hurry up. How can they get those tickets?
3: Uh, it's uh, Eventbrite.
0: Awesome, and I'm sure that there's probably a link somewhere on the Brezza website yes, or something like yes, that. They could find Cool. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry we didn't get to hear from Zach, but I will bother him when he gets to town. Tell him I said hi, please. For sure. Thank you for having me. Anyway, that sounds like a lot of fun. I know wow. it's pricey, 375, but um Rich Rick, I've got to assume you've eaten at Babo. Right? I
2: have. I love I love Babo. It was like one of my favorite places in New York to go to. You know, there was a it was a lobster place right across the street down the block. I don't know, another place. I was, don't know, man.
0: I'm like the David Lee Roth guy. I just used to get busted buying weed in that park. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was right uh, off Washington Square it Park, was and little, I never really got busted. Little, buying little, weed
2: little Could be seedy, but it was delicious, you know, and, and Mario was there and everything was great. I think it's awesome that she's doing this, you know. How many tickets are there? 24? There's only 24, but I'm hearing rumblings that if they sell out, they may add a
0: second No, I'm interested. It. I'll go. You should go. Give Nicole a call. I'll be seeing her people right after I leave here. (laughs)
2: Perfect. I'm in.
0: Uh, Another interview I teased last week was with Kimmy and Josh McIntosh of Milkfish Bake Shop. You may recall me and Gemini chatting about their amazing desserts. If you don't, just go back and read this and what the fuck. You got time. Anyway, for this week's episode, I have that (laughs) interview and here it is. Okay, so I'm here with Josh and Kimmy from Milkfish, and you know, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, Milkfish has been getting mentioned here and there, particularly around um, the Pine Dining series. But we, they have some fans, and I don't know that I've ever eaten their dessert, so I'm like, I got to learn about these guys. So, hey, thanks a lot for taking some time to meet me here at Fuku. What are you guys doing today?
6: Today we did a little kind of last minute virtual sale. Um, we had some of our guests that were bummed they couldn't uh, get to some of our pop ups. Um, so Kimmy is always willing to reach out to the neighborhood and make sure that we can take care of them. Um, so we're here doing a pickup at Fuku Burger.
0: Cool. So this is sort of a pop-up sale. People have already ordered stuff and they're getting it. What have you created for them today?
7: Well, today we have some of our uh, favorites. We have our mango float. It's like a mango curd with condensed cheesecake mousse, sort of layered dessert. We also have a pandan tres leches cake. Um, we have our new item as well, which is a toasted coconut cinnamon roll, and then a Nutella stuffed chocolate chip cookie.
0: Okay, now you're making me hungry, and I haven't even had breakfast today. We're already in Fuku. My calorie count's already through the roof on today. Kimmy, um, could you guys explain what Milkfish is, how long you've been in existence? I know, Josh, that you come from Umifuku, um most recently, but what's your background in food, and how did you create this company?
6: Food and beverage um, has been a part of my life ever since I'm 15. I got my first job working in restaurants, And, uh, yeah, most recently I was at Momofuku, and this company was just so bizarre but yet so powerful and awesome that they showed me a side to myself that I never really knew I had, right? And um, when I stepped down as the GM, you know, it was scary, but thankfully, when I met my amazing wife in the San Francisco Bay Area, we were already kind of working on a concept that could possibly work. And um, when we stopped trying so hard and we just wanted to have fun… That's when we started putting up some really amazing food. I think we always knew we wanted to. Kimmy's really passionate about, about her, you know, cultural background, her ethnic background. And so I'll let her, like, talk about that. But ultimately, it was ch- trying to take that. And what started with just helping my wife find her dream found a passion in myself. And so Milkfish, I think Kimmy should probably take over Milkfish. But that's my background. Over tw- about 20 years, um, working from dishwasher to general manager, and ultimately just having fun. I mean, I currently still um, am working part-time for Bar, which is uh, part of the SBE hospitality group over in Mandalay Bay, um, and they're just amazing friends at this point, letting me kind of just scallywag around the bar and have fun with their guests, all the while promoting and talking about Milkfish. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Kimmy should break down the science of who we really are,
0: So, you are the front of the house and the management aspect of this, and Kimmy, you are the creative back of the house pastry chef. Am I right there?
7: I am, yes.
6: (laughs) I I, I have some audacity. I will take that role, yeah.
7: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we started back in 2020. Um, As he mentioned to you earlier, we were doing this for charity mostly. I personally felt like that was the way that I wanted to get these things that I was creating, these Filipino-inspired bakes and stuff, out to people. Um, I think doing it through charity was kind of just a fun way to get it maybe out to more people than you would before. Um, And it was really successful that first bake sale. So we were doing it for a while after that, and it was really fun to come up with new items for each and every bake sale. And then starting this year, we were popping up at Vegas Test Kitchen, and uh, it was really nice to be able to sell of our items out of an actual space. Um, Like he was mentioning, it's just been a lot of fun creating these things, kind of based on, you know, ingredients and dishes in the Philippines, but also just memories that I have from my Filipino-American upbringing. Um, I like kind of melding them with like things that I remember in like a classic American bakery even. Um, I just like marrying the two, I don't know. The creative side of it has been really fun.
0: So Vegas Test Kitchen was a place where people could get your stuff. you do pop-up events, as you're sa- saying. But, of course, without a brick and mortar, it makes people wonder where they can get your food. Yeah. So, they do. I'm assuming we've got to follow something somewhere on some social media that probably I'm too old to even use. I don't know. But um, <laughs> w- what do we got to do if we want to follow you guys? Find out what you're doing and where we can get your food.
7: All right. So, definitely Instagram would be where you can get the most up-to-date news about everything that we're doing. It's going to be at milkfish.bakeshop. Um, there you will see up-to-date of flash sales. For example, we're here at Fuku Burger right now. This is a very last-minute flash sale we decided to have. We announced it on Instagram, and we had all the pre-orders done through there. Um, also, it has a contact button. You can email us, and we do special orders. All we need is three days' notice, and the special orders menu on our Instagram um, will show you everything you can order, usually like a whole pandan tres leches cake, a dozen biscuits, things like that.
0: For those who don't know what Filipino food cuisine is all about. What are the defining characteristics, or at least the recurring themes, within Filipino food and Filipino desserts?
7: Well, what's great about Filipino food, it's it's truly is a melting pot of everything. Uh, The Philippines has kind of gone through a lot of history and, you know, a lot of colonization at that point. You know, Uh, know, Spain, uh, it has a lot of influence from Mexico, just simply from, like, the spice trade and things like that. Chinese food is a huge influence as well, so I love it personally um, where my dad is from has a lot of Spanish influence and so a lot of the food that I grew up with you tend to get a lot of um, those flavors and as far as you know Filipino desserts um, it kind of what I love about Filipino bakeries in general is it's savory and sweet like you get a little bit of everything so it's not just gonna be um, you know, the little steamed rice cakes or the sweet bread rolls, you're also going to have empanadas or stuffed pandisales filled with corn beef or shredded chicken, so I like that and I like being able to play off that because it just opens up so many possibilities of what you can offer. Um, you know, you can go in and you can get like a bowl of panse. You wouldn't really think of that like a noodle dish at a bakery, but I-, I like that aspect of it and so I like, like I said, the creative part, kind of taking that concept and running with it, so...
0: So, any plans moving forward for a brick-and-mortar, or are you enjoying doing it this kind of um, Wild West way?
6: (laughs) Um, It's a great question, and, you know, I think uh, we've been battling personally to see brick-and-mortar versus maybe mobile. I think the opportunities in what we're creating, without ego, right, There's, there's no comparing, you know, our cuisine at Milkfish Bake Shop to any other Filipino bakery or restaurant. Um, so, because of that, I think even mobile. I like the idea of being able to be right. I heard once from someone, "Win the neighborhood, you know, win the people over first, and kind of let everything go." So, essentially, we're building this business completely backwards. Um, we really are, you know. And I, and I love that because we're focusing on that, right? The people, you know, like Kimmy said, Bakers Against Racism is where it started. Just doing what was right and um, helping others out. And when we started doing that, we ultimately. We're just having fun. So, brick and mortar, yes. In fact, if I could take just a quick moment to even talk about the ridiculous name that is milkfish. All right. So, (laughs) milkfish alone um, is a translated uh, English word from bangus. Am I saying it good, baby? You are. (laughs) Okay. So, this is the national fish of the Philippines. And it's um, really popular. um, It's a popular dish itself, opposite being a beautiful, gorgeous fish. They've created it. There's a couple different versions of bangus. So, originally, what we wanted to do because I have a big beverage background, as we were going to open up, right? I thought Vegas, you know, think attraction. What kind of fun attraction can we bring to the LV community? And that was going to be a speakeasy, right? I thought, well, you know, what great way, then let's have a storefront that makes a lot of sense. And if you go to any of our local Filipino restaurants that are even sit-down, um, they tend to have, like, a little section of, like, Filipino newspapers, peanuts, and, and like, snacks, and, like, you know, canned lychee, and, like, all this. like. Uh, so I was always attracted to that, like, oh, why don't we have like a legit storefront and our, our the men and women that help us work as like clerks quote unquote, are actually hosts and hostesses that are legit selling out of the cake like we, we can have some of their classic desserts, like this one weird, layered mochi looking thing called sapine sapine. it's everywhere. We can have that there, and then there's the hidden door. We can call it milkfish. He drinks like a fish, you drink milk. it just it, you know if if say you know Al, you and I were going out. And you're like, oh, I heard about this dope bar called Milkfish. Me being married to a Filipino-American woman, I'd be like, dope, dude, that's a Filipino bar. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. You know. And so it was kind of like, and then after nationwide quarantine, when we started you know, working hard for Bakers Against Racism, well, shit. Now we're doing a. Uh, oh, am I allowed to swear? Is it a, yeah. okay? Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> fuck yeah. Oh, fuck.
1: Oh, oh. Thank God. I'm sorry.
6: Man. Okay, you're the one with the kid here with sensitive ears, <laughs> he man. Is, he is my son. He's our son, and my wife. Unfortunately, I've enabled her to be okay. do the same thing. Um, but alas, so we uh, we were like, well, now we're doing a bakery. Wow, like we we got to change the name. You know, let's change the name. And just through changing, to, no, you know what. Milkfish Bake Shop it is. Like, it's going to stick. It's ridiculous, yet it makes fun sense. Um, you know, and again, if I'm ruining the the the, uh, the pronunciation of it, you know, I, I always like to say, this isn't your nana and your tata's food. But they would come in and be like, wow, go, girl, go. Like, this, this chick is really doing something special for the people. So ultimately, yes, I think exit strategy from where we're at now would be to take it into either a brick-and-mortar space and... Uh, Or either the mobile way. And after that, I still would love the idea of Milkfish Bake Shop becoming a speakeasy where we can really kind of have fun.
0: I mean, a speakeasy makes everything more fun, doesn't it? Just (laughs) booze in the back, you know?
6: Yeah, and I, I learned a bunch about like, you know, Filipino bartenders being the true creative force behind tiki, right? This article came out sometime in 2020 about, you know, the beachcomber, like, you know, kind of working around LA. Being walked into a bar being trained by like, all these Filipino bartenders, and he became like the tiki god So it's like the Philippines is just such a slept-on country that has so much to offer and um, Gosh, we've only just begun the community's only just begun, you know
0: so, Sounds like we have a lot more to talk about down the road. I'm really happy to have you. Colin Fukunaga just sat down next to us Man, how are you brother? What do you think about these guys? This is some next level bake shop stuff Cool. Well, I want to thank you guys for your time. Hopefully we'll um, have you on again sometime soon or we'll be at some events you're doing.
6: Uh, We can't wait to style you out. Thank you for all you do. I mean, truly, truly keep up the great work. I think uh, just this small meeting alone has meant so much more than maybe even, you know, and I hope soon it'll be, you know, even stronger relationship.
7: Very excited that you reached out to us. It it means a lot. Like I was telling you before, it still trips us out that people were talking about us, and we're just really excited, and we would love to do this again.
0: Okay, and on that note, we're going to leave. Thank you, guys.
2: (laughs) Pine Dining, Yukon Pizza, and La Tomatina. We have news on all of that and more. This is Food and Loathing.
5: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
0: And it is time for the news. Um, something that I got off social media this week. Haven't had a chance to follow up much on it. Uh, but Justin Kingsley Hall will be stepping back from Main Street Provisions, taking a little time off to deal with his health. Um, I, this is a story that we're going to have uh, Justin talk to me more in detail about mm-hmm. this within the next week or two. Um, I, the first time I met Justin, he was actually um, he, was, he was teaching. Over mm-hmm. at, I think, CSN or one of the colleges. And he was teaching because he was having health issues. And he never thought he'd be able to work in a professional kitchen again. Yeah. And, of course, he got lured back into it. It started as a pop-up. <laughs> then restaurant after restaurant. Nobody's done more that I know of for um, really trying to build a sense of community in this town. First, helping Brian Howard at Sparrow & Wolf when it opened. Then yep. going downtown yep. to the kitchen at Atomic when nobody was doing good food over in, you know that far down on Fremont Street. And then, of course, with Main Street Provisions, that's really revolutionized main street and throughout all of this plus whiskey in the wilderness that's always going to life is beautiful and all this stuff and this guy has always been in excruciating pain if you see him his arms kind of always up in a slit and whatever he's he's had a lot of issues and i think it's important that we talk about this which is why i want him back um you know we talk a lot now about how the kitchen culture does not encourage people to worry about their own health. Not their mental health and not their physical health. Mm -hmm. And bravo to Justin for being willing to talk about this. You know, he's a huge family man, spends a lot of time with his family and a lot of time with the community and has been neglecting his own health for a long time. And I think this is one of the most important things we can ever talk about on a show Mm -hmm. that's about restaurant culture. And we will have him on within the next week or two to talk about what he's been through and why it's important that all of you, Anybody listening in the restaurant world, take care of yourself.
2: People, people think it's all glam, you know. There's a lot of stress, a lot of stress. It's oh, yeah. so much, you know, and it, it it wears on you physically, mentally, emotionally. It's 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 real, and yeah. it's cool that it's not just people don't you know, they think that you know the chefs are getting famous and they're doing all this, you know, but they don't understand the the, the cooks.
1: The chefs may yeah. be famous, but the cooks the cooks are working are their butts work, off. Yeah. Man.
2: You know, I think Mario
0: Vitali was the guy who said to me when I was interviewing him for a Carrie Simon project. But he's like, in the old days, it's mm. like you went in the army or you became a cook. Like those were your two things if you had <laughs> nothing. And, and it was, you know, just because it was the hard work, that yeah. that brigade mentality and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, bravo to him for having, you know, yeah. just talking about it and having the conversation. Also, as you may have heard, two more weekends of Pine Dining have been announced. Both of them are in September. And I spoke to Christina Ellis about those events and how many more she hopes to bring to Mount Charleston.
5: Labor Day weekend, the third and the fourth. It'll be a collaboration with a bunch of pizza makers here in town doing like an Italian festival. Um, and then our Sunday event is Gina from La Strega, So it should be just absolutely wonderful. Uh, And then Todd English on the tenth and the eleventh, doing both the cookout and the Sunday dinner, Um, and we're announcing or we're uh, hoping to continue the series, go in through the rest of the year um, or as long as we can. Uh, So yeah, just trying to trying to uh, put that programming together, and definitely way more events at the Mount Charleston Space to come
0: said the end of the year, so do you see this going into the winter and the snowy season?
5: That's what we're trying to figure out. The structure is a temporary structure, but we want to make sure that it'll withstand the snow, and as long as that's good and we have the infrastructure in place, we we want to keep re- inviting people up to the mountain. And, and what's better than Mount Charleston covered in snow?
0: <laughs> Absolutely nothing, unless you're my dog. My dog's not a fan of the snow. Um, So how frequent will they be? I mean, I I understand that this is all in the development phase, but what's your goal? How do you, I mean, because originally we went one, two, three, four weeks in a row, Uh, is the goal to have it be every weekend as much as you can going forward? Or do you see it slowing down to a slightly slower pace?
5: That's something we're still trying to figure out. Um, We're just trying to get that programming in place. and, And once we have that all set up, we'll be announcing it.
0: Okay, let's talk about pizza day. Because pizza on the mountain, pretty cool, um, a little different than what people have you know, had up there before, which has been a lot of fine dining chefs that have gone up. So what is the pizza party gonna look like?
5: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, a lot of these amazing pizza makers in town and they're going to be making pizza, but then also showcase the other things that they can do. So it'll be a full array of charcuteries and cheeses and carpaccio and and pastas and sandwiches. So it is highlighting the pizza makers and then showing what they can do pizza and beyond.
0: Uh, and Okay, well, I don't want to skip over Gina because yeah, I yeah. love Gina. So let's talk a little bit. Um, do you know anything about what um, Gina has planned for her day up there?
5: Um, I know she is doing the chef's table, so that's five to six courses. Um, we're still locking in her menu, but, you know, knowing Gina, I have no doubts. It'll be, you know, a, a beautiful uh, array, so.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't uh-huh. be surprised if it was anything but beautiful. Um, Todd English, getting him up there. I mean, that's certainly the biggest celebrity chef name, I believe that you've had up there so far, the biggest nationally recognized celebrity chef name. So could you talk to me a bit about what it means to have Todd being involved? Was he familiar with Mount Charleston in advance? Um, How'd you sell him on this? And what's he have planned?
5: Yeah, so we are so excited to have him up there doing the two-day event. And like you said, yeah, definitely the, the biggest celebrity chef name that we're bringing in. Um, we we had reached out to him and got the idea in front of him, and, and we were so excited that he was kind of eager to jump on it. He's, you know, putting down a lot of roots in the Las Vegas community and has the multiple restaurants that he's been, you know, opening here in town. So, we're so excited to have him as part of it, and and they, him and his team have been very enthusiastic. So that just you know means so much to us.
0: And since we're on the topic of Gio morrow an event coming up this Monday, August twenty ninth, at Manzù Italian Oven and Bar, um, that he's putting on is being held to benefit the families of people battling ALS. So I spoke to him a little bit about that.
4: It's the ALS Foundation of uh, Nevada. And what they do is they provide uh, support to families whose family members are afflicted by this horrible disease. The connection personal is from uh, me. I had an uncle that passed away from complications and uh, uh, Chris Milatello, who's our uh, director of beverage here and he's also uh, the guy that helped me found Monzu. We, we, we built it together with our bare hands. And uh his mom passed away from it, and uh, it, it, to to watch people go through this, their mental facilities are uh lucid and, and they're they 're absolutely a hundred percent mentally, but their bodies just start giving away and just withering away and it It is torture emotionally not only for them but for the family members. I remember with my uncle the, his biggest thing was the, the the burden that he was putting on his family to take care of him. It was, it was you know, not only did he feel um, desperate uh, because of the disease, but also because of this incredible burden that he was putting on his loved ones. And and I uh, it, it's just heart-wrenching and we, we wanna do something so that the family members have some support. And just so you know, um, I am donating all the labor and all the food here, 100%. 100% of everything you spend that day, that $75, admission fee, if you participate in the raffle, if you participate in the silent auctions, all of that money, every last penny goes to the LAS Foundation.
0: And could you tell us what that evening will be like for people that attend?
4: Absolutely. If you've ever been here on a Friday night, you'll know. But I'm all about uh, just open arms, uh, hospitality. We'll have lots of food flowing Uh, We've had some wine uh, uh, suppliers donate wine, there'll be passed out hors d'oeuvres, there'll be seating, there'll be wonderful jazz. My wife and her uh, trio is going to be donating their time, Um, and it's just going to be a party, a fun party celebration of life, and uh, it's something that both uh, my uncle and Chris's mom would just love to see and love to be a part of, and it's it's just the... The, the open-arm Italian hospitality that we want to honor and uh, honor their lives and their contributions.
2: Yukon Pizza is doing a kitchen takeover this weekend and the next at Vegas Test Kitchen. They'll be trying out menu items for their new brick-and-mortar coming to the Hunters Development. That's Jay Dabber's place. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yep, yeah. It's a great little area growing up there. The team are uh, seeking investors for the project, and they are, they've are they reached out on, on social media to try to get some uh, support. And I'll have more on this in next week's episode. Or you can go see Alex and Justin this weekend and ask them yourselves.
1: Knock right on that door, man. <laughs> uh, next Wednesday, the 31st, uh, the last Wednesday in August, that's traditionally the date that you see those great videos on the news of La Tomatina, more than 150,000 tomatoes used in a big tomato war in Buñol, Spain. Did I get that right, Rick?
2: (laughs) Buñol. Buñol.
1: Haleo is celebrating not with a tomato fight, although that would be cool to see (laughs) that right there (laughs) on the third floor of the Cosmopolitan. Bring it. (laughs) Tomatina Festival Menu, now through uh, September 4th, And as you might expect, it is heavy on the tomato dishes. And it'll be a good chance to see what Haleo's new executive chef, Justin Phillips is up to we hope to have him right here on the podcast next week
0: and finally over at planet hollywood or PHO, as i like to call it <laughs> the pbr rock bar is closing um Ooh. i don't have any real details on that i've heard some reports on other venues where they're just saying it's not really on brand for what they're trying to make over there which so.
1: is the dumbest damn idea in the world if they they have visions of upscaling the miracle mile shops,
2: no, no.
0: i don't know if it's necessarily upscaling i just think like that that the bull riding motif. Maybe they don't want it to be their country and western property.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I don't, I
0: don't know. I've I I got know. no idea. That was always a vibe, weird vibe in there. I mean, I never had a bad meal in there. I never had a meal that made me rave that say I wanted to go back. Like, yeah. you know, I've been there with friends and family. It was a strange kind of vibe. It had a little bit of the, if I remember right, like there were catwalks that people would dance on there. And it was sort of, yeah. it was kind of a little bit of like Coyote Ugly yeah. version of country yeah. and western, but they called it a rock bar. So they played like pop rock and it was a weird vibe, but it worked for them. So look, they had an nice I mean, you know, as Rick, as you know, man, it's hard to have a long run in this town. Yes, it is. I would
1: think that they would find a new venue because they they did make a lot of money over the over the years. And, And and back again to Miracle Mile Shops. You know, that's the place that is serving what otherwise is a pretty underserved market. You know, kids. Not the richest people in the world on yeah. the Strip, you know. Yeah, you go downtown, you go out to the neighborhoods, you go way south to the outlet malls and all that, and get all that stuff. But you know, the cheap earrings and the cheap shoes and yeah. the, the the knockoff stuff—they've they've done very well in that. And all of a sudden, they have uh, visions of upscaling. Oh, I wonder if there's still a couple folks at Boyd they could talk to about the uh, Echelon project.
2: It's like the boardwalk <laughs> of Las Vegas. Yeah, right.
0: Uh, so yeah. You say the Wildwood boardwalk, right? Yeah. You can see there. And God down love there. him for
1: that. That serves a market, you know. And I'm sure the Wynn and Venetian folks are saying. God love that that keeps those people out of our place.
0: No kidding. Do me. we know who actually runs the Miracle Mile shops? I mean, for the most part, those those malls are not run by the people that run the hotel. It's hotels. not Caesar's property. No. no, they're completely different. There's two or yeah. three big mall operators. Simon in this town. and a uh, couple of others, so yeah. I'm not really sure. But anyway, um PBR Rock Bar, I guess we will miss you. Didn't David Burke used to be in that? spot for you know what while? yes with like a hawaiian tropic zone that's exactly right he right. had, he had those girls in bikinis
2: and stuff going on oh. amazing
0: the things i can pull out of my ass <laughs> a that's right. that's a, that, that was a, it was a Bert connection there. you're absolutely right oh so that is about it for this episode of food and loathing thanks for uh, thanks to everyone out there who made this show happen
1: please tell a friend about food and loathing spread the word on social media all you got to do is search for food and loathing Get to Al directly with a question or comment, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And, of course, download the Neon Feast app. You use it to find your next Vegas dining destination. Whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever you desire, find it at Neon Feast or neonfeast.com.
0: And if you can't get enough of my voice, well, you can hear my voice every Thursday morning on AM 670, KMQZ. Uh, it's usually about 10 KMZQ, minutes. KMZQ. KMZQ. I'm sorry, my yeah. friends. Um, <laughs> and anyway, that that's a fun little thing. It's usually about eh, 10 after 8 in the morning to about 10 minutes. You just heard me this I morning. I did, indeed. How yeah, was yeah, I? Was yeah, I okay? Yeah, yeah Better than yeah. I am now? <laughs>
1: I, did, I didn't have to listen to this show. Oh, wait a minute. I do have to listen you to this show.
0: You do have to listen to this show. <laughs> because I <laughs> Over and over and over. And over. over. You can yeah, also yeah, yeah. see me on the CW Las Vegas every other Wednesday morning at approximately 8.50 And I'm going into KNPR tomorrow to talk wieners. I don't know um, when that's going to air, but um, yeah, there will be a hot dog segment coming Uh. up with me. So lots of stuff happening.
1: And catch y'all now, then, all weekend long, most of the week long. It's the Neon Feast update on the Vibe 99.7 in Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, and 98.9 on the river. And for
0: Rick Moon and Rich Johnson, I am Al Mancini. Stay hungry.